morning. Happy fifth. I would like to invite you to this verse, and may you find it a place to rest and contemplate. And as I'll read this verse, it's about raising holy hands. So raise your holy hands, and then later, just hold them like this, open, in a receiving position. And just be ready to receive whatever comes your way, and let your spirit go wherever it needs to go. The verse is from Timothy 1, 2-8. Therefore, I want the people in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without worth and dissension. God who is almighty and merciful, God who divides the day from the night and turns shadows into the morning, drive you, drive fear from you, fill you with courage that the work of your hands and feet would be the evidence of a life lived under the grace of God. Amen. Holy God, hear our prayer. We are Martha preparing for your arrival, expectant, busy, cleaning, scurrying, setting all things in order. We are Mary, welcoming you with a hearty smile, anticipating conversation, present in the moment to listen and to wonder, hospitable to this guest, to all guests. We are Mary and Martha, using the work of hands feet, and hearts, and minds for the sake of the world. Amen. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took, and they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts 
but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, heavenly comforter and spirit of truth, blowing everywhere and filling all things. Treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and abide with us. For if you are with us, God, then nothing else matters. And if you are not, then certainly nothing else matters. Amen. On June 26th, Nearly two dozen Los Angeles clergy were arrested outside the federal courthouse while protesting the Trump administration's immigration policies. In an act of civil disobedience, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim clerics linked arms, their feet firmly planted even after the LAPD had ordered them to disband. Now, I first discovered this incident from an article on Facebook and what I found most surprising was actually the comment section. Of course, you know, trolling is a pretty expected phenomenon these days. But what I actually saw were people that I know, Lutherans and Episcopalians, arguing and voicing disapproval over the actions of these clergy that I considered to be brave. Now, one person commented, don't these people have better things to be doing? Shouldn't they be attending to their congregations? And this I found pretty humorous because this is Los Angeles after all, and these are our congregations. And when I sat down to look at the text from the Gospel of Mark that we heard today, I was struck by a six-word sentence. And they took offense at him. Jesus here has returned to the city of his birth, Nazareth, and he is not welcomed with open arms. Literally, the Greek reads, they were scandalized. And at what? They were scandalized by a message of peace, a message of love, and a God who so loves. A message of justice, one that exposes corruption, one that speaks light to the oppression of society's most vulnerable. It's a message that heals and a message that reconciles. It casts out demons, whether they are literal or metaphorical, the societal demons of racism, xenophobia, greed, and callousness. Yes, the message of Jesus is deeply scandalous. The church can try all it likes to domesticate that message. But the radical nature of the Gospels will always prevail. And that brings me to the second half of today's text, beginning in verse 7. Jesus charges his followers to continue the work that he himself had begun, to go into the world and to proclaim this good news to everyone and to establish justice. 
Now, this might come as a shock to some of you, and it did to me when I first learned about it in uh, one of my religion classes here at CLU, but the proposition of being saved in order to get to heaven as the central message of Christianity is actually pretty a, a recent phenomenon. We're talking kind of Victorian sort of second great awakening. The orthodox position, rather, is not that we're in it to go to heaven, but that we must bring heaven here to earth. And that comes from the book of Revelation, that bizarre book at the end of the canon that if you grew up in the same tradition that I did, probably gave you a great many nightmares. Now, apocalyptic though it may be, St. John's Revelation is actually a message of hope. It's a central theme, <clears throat> its central theme, excuse me, is the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, where peace prevails on earth. After we've laid down our burdens and our weapons down by the riverside, when our families are reunited, when borders cease to even exist, when justice prevails. I suspect that many of us here today are, like myself, feeling the burdens of today's world a lot more intensely than usual. We sit wondering what possibly could happen next. Whenever we seem to take a small step forward, the next day we take a huge step back. Jesus warns of this. And what we are to do when hope seems lost is but stop and shake the dust from our feet and keep on keeping on. For several years now, a certain book has provided me with hope when around seemed chaos. In May of 1373, a wealthy woman from Norwich's business class succumbed to the bubonic plague disease having reached the city about 11 years earlier. For three days she sat in utter agony, fading in and out of consciousness. And on the fourth day a priest came to the sick room to administer the last rites of the church. And at the sight of a crucifix, this woman was whisked away into a state of ecstasy. In this state, she received a series of 16 visions that she believed to be from God. When she awoke, she regained her strength and entered vows of a hermetic life of chastity, obedience, and prayer. She spent the remainder of her life on earth in a small cell attached to St. Julian's Church, a name which she later took for herself. From her cell, Julian of Norwich wrote down her visions along with her interpretations of them in a volume that she titled Revelations of Divine Love. At the volume's climax, Julian sits questioning the state of the world that she lived in, one beset by sin, corruption from the church, greed, turmoil, war, and plague. And from here, we get that most poetic mantra, all shall be well all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. God says to us, I got this, and I'm bringing all things together. When the forces of the world seem against us, when the world seems to be falling apart, and when we cry out for justice and only hear the faintest of echoes in return, 
all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. When we are the source of societal reproach, when we are rejected by our own kin, all in the struggle for justice, we will shake the dust from our feet, and we will say, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And I want to leave you with one final quote from Julian. He said not, thou shalt not be tempested, thou shalt not be traviled, thou shalt not be diseased. But he said, thou shalt not be overcome. And this was a most delectable sight. Amen. Thank you, Ryan, for a beautiful and deep message. We have a lot to pray, a lot to pray for. Prayers are a collection of our voices as people of God. I invite you to raise a name or a concern or think of a person that may need this prayer now. And as we pray together collectively, you can hold your hands like this or like this and channel protection to that person or that concern. I invite to hear you, to hear your voices. Hear our prayers, O Lord, and tend them in due season. Amen. May the transformation nature of God Guide your hands and feet this day and all days.